Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Hi, everyone. It's Vanessa. We have a special treat in the feed for you today. Ariana and I used to record something called The Women of Harry Potter. It started as episodes being dropped in the Harry Potter Sacred Text feed, then it moved to its own feed, then it was a Patreon perk. It has had many lives. And right now, several of the episodes, since we have discontinued Women of Harry Potter, are just sort of nowhere to be found publicly. So we thought we would start releasing the unreleased episodes in the feed. So over the next several months, you're going to be getting an episode of the Women of Harry Potter in your feed every once in a while. This episode that you're going to hear today is me offering a blessing to Lily Potter. What you will notice is that we never bless Hermione because we felt as though I blessed Hermione enough in those first few years of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. But the other thing that you're going to hear is a really 
in-depth attention being paid to sometimes quite minor characters or characters who aren't on the page much but loom large like Lily. Ariana and I both really admire this French philosopher named Simone Weil, who I'm sure you've heard us talk about on the podcast before, but who believed that attention and love are essentially the same thing. So we are trying to love these characters and practice paying attention. And then every episode ends with whoever did not bring the blessing, but the the blessing hearer, uh, writing a trivia quiz that is tangentially related to the blessing. And so that is what you will hear at the end. We are going to be dropping these until all of the episodes of Women of Harry Potter are in your feed. And I think that that's all the preamble you need. Enjoy this episode of the Women of Harry Potter. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, beautiful. Welcome to our Women of Harry Potter little sacred treehouse land. Thank you. I love it here. Thank you for making tea. I just could intuit that that's what you needed. I really did. And it's amazing that you have a kettle in a treehouse. I know. We just plug it into our hearts. Yeah. And it, it automatically warms the water. Vanessa, it's your turn to bless a wonderful woman of Harry Potter. Who are you blessing this week? A woman named Lily Potter. Interesting. We don't see a lot of her in the books. We do not. And I'm only really blessing her for two moments. So I am blessing her for the moment at the end of book four in Priori and Cantatum, and then in book seven when Harry walks into the forest to fight Voldemort. These are the two moments in which Lily becomes like an almost embodied person alive and interacting with Harry. So it's like different than the Mirror of Air said. It's different than us imagining Lily through various letters. Like these are the two moments where Harry gets to interact with his mom. And what specifically are you blessing her for in those moments? So in each of those moments, she only says one sentence. Mm. First of all, I'm not known for my brevity. So I could just bless her for brevity in tough moments. But I think that what she says in each of those moments is so beautiful and so important. And as somebody who thinks a lot about what I want to be like in relationship to the children in my life, I think it's just like a really good model for how to be with kids. What does she say? So in book four, what's happening is Cedric and Harry have just like touched the Triwizard Cup. They've been portkeyed to the cemetery. Cedric has been killed and Harry and Voldemort are having this battle. And while their wands are locked, the previous spells and curses that Voldemort has done are like coming out of his wand, which is what priori and cantata means. And so Lily and James and other people who have been killed come out and the Death Eaters are sort of egging on Voldemort and booing him. And the Voldemort's victims are sort of cheering on Harry and booing him. In different versions of the book, whether James or Lily speaks first to Harry is different, which is wild. But regardless, one of the first people who speaks to Harry 
is Lily, and she just gives him instructions on how to survive. She is like, oh, my God, my son is in a moment of crisis. Hold this for as long as you can. We will be here to protect you for just a few seconds that you need. Get back to the port key, and then you'll be safe, right? She gives him the instructions that he needs. And then in book seven, Harry is walking through the forest, It's my favorite scene in the whole series, and so we won't talk about all of it, but Harry has just conjured the images of um, Lupin, Sirius, and his mom and dad. And the only thing that Lily says to Harry is, you've been so brave. And I just think, what better two things to say to your son? And those are the only two things that we see her ever say to her son. And I just think it's such a beautiful model of specific advice in moments of crisis. And like, other than that, unconditional love. It breaks my heart thinking of all of the things that she must want to say to him. These are corporeal beings to some extent that are thinking, right? And we see that, like Cedric a moment later is like, take my body back. They have wishes. They have wills. And so if they have wills, I just like can't imagine how much Lily must want to say to Harry. And that these are the two things that she chooses to say, I just think speaks to how awesome she is. Something that I noticed when I was looking back at those passages was the emphasis on Lily's desire to view her son. Before she says, you've been so brave, it says, she pushed her long hair back as she drew close to him and her green eyes, so like his, searched his face hungrily as though she would never be able to look at him enough. And in the moment that you're talking about in Priori and Catatum, what in my version, James says is, she wants to see you. It will all be all right. Hold on. And so that emphasis on she wants to see you and her looking at him, it also captures for me the like, as it says in the text, the hunger that she has, that there are so many things that she could say. They're so long that she could just gaze upon him. And she has these seconds with him in his life. And I know that you said we're not talking about the mirror of Erised, but I did want to talk about it because it felt like another moment because it mentions that she's crying and smiling. And I think another thing that's mentioned about Lily is that she smiles at him. Yeah. The way that she emits things from herself in her eyes, the desire to look at him and in her smile, the desire to want to like hold him in her warmth and yet unable to convey those things except in the few words that she has. I mean, I'm glad you brought us to the Mirror of Erised because it is what Harry wishes she was like. The Mirror of Erised shows us our desires. Mm. And so he wants her to be smiling and crying, but we don't actually see Lily crying. I wonder if wherever she is, she is like weeping, but she does not let her son see her weakness. That's so interesting. I hadn't even thought of that. I don't think that Harry, like, wants to see his mom cry, but he, like, wants to know that she loves him and is sad that she doesn't get to know him. Yeah, and in fact, it says they just looked at him smiling. He had a powerful kind of ache inside him, half joy, half terrible sadness. So he's, like, mirroring mirroring his his own feeling of, of seeing his parents and what he would imagine they would feel looking at him. Right. But Lily, when she actually is engaging with him, like, we don't see her cry. We just see her smile. I love the language and your point around, like, how her gaze is so hungry. 
And the thing that I think I envy in her and that I really want to bless her for is that when I see something like too beautiful, I almost get mad, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I arrive at a beautiful hotel for a wedding, I'm like, oh, I'm only going to be here for six hours. And suddenly it's scarcity in my life makes me hunger for it and therefore reject it. Like I hate my greed for the thing. And so I like shut it down. And what I love about Lily is that her eyes are greedy and yet she doesn't try to take advantage of the situation. She just does what is necessary. She doesn't make it about her. Right. Well, every moment is in service to her son, just like in her afterlife, just as in her death, the great sacrifice that she made for him. Yeah, it's just these moments of like perfect clarity of like, this is not about me. He does not need to hear that I love him right now. That would just be me saying the things I want to say. He just needs to hear how brave he is so that he can keep going. Yeah, it's so interesting because the first one, the priori incantatum, this is a moment where she gives him everything he needs to stay alive again. Mm-hmm. And then the second one that you're pointing to, you've been so brave, is what he needs to hear in order to die. Yeah. And I don't know what quite to make of that in her relationship to him, of her holding his hand into death. I'm wondering what you think of that. So I think of it as accompaniment. You know, at this moment in the text in Book 7, Harry's already chosen to die. He's already walking. And actually, the thing that gets them to come out of the Sorcerer's Stone is that he whispers into the snitch, I am about to die. And I do wonder if he had whispered into the snitch, who knows if it would have opened, but if he had whispered like, Mom, Dad, come help me. I don't know what to do. I wonder if she would have said something different. But what he says fairly resolutely, like, I'm about to die. I did not do any pediatric hospital chaplaincy, but you, like, get trained in these things during your clinical pastoral education. And adults often, while sitting with children while they're dying, want to lie to the kids and be like, you'll be fine. You're just going to sleep. And you're really encouraged as a chaplain, and again, I've never done this, but you're encouraged to, like, meet the kids in their darkness and to ask them what they believe and what they think comes next, but not to push your story agenda onto them because kids will try to take care of you, right? And so I think that she's just meeting Harry where he is. She's like, okay, like, you've decided that you're going to do this, and I will tell you what you need to hear to do it. Yeah, the line, you've been so brave, it isn't even about her or her love for him, which is so evident. It's about him. Oh, that sounds so hard. I, I think no one could imagine themselves sitting with a child as they die. And then so many people have to and find that capacity within themselves. But it's interesting to me because previous to this conversation, I've like been harboring this weird little feeling inside of me that was like, James made a sacrifice, too. James was like, go upstairs, get Harry, get out. I'll stay down here and fight. Mm -hmm. um, and I had, like, always kind of wondered, like, why we didn't appreciate James's sacrifice. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't appreciate James's sacrifice. And I'm sure if we were to spend time and really, like, look at what he says to Harry throughout the series, we would see that more. But the moments that we see of James 
and flashback at least are so complicated and really have to do with Harry's own sense of self. He looks so much like James. He acts so much like James. Like he's struggling with this arrogance that was embodied in his father. He literally thinks that it's James who saves him, but it's himself. Exactly. And the moments that we see of Lily are kind of beautifully uncomplicated. She's standing up for what's right. And she's gazing at her son. And there's something about Harry having Lily's eyes, the like the things that emit love whenever he looks at her that I find to be really symbolically resonant for me and like makes me come back to like feeling good about Lily's love and the depth of Lily's love in a really profound way. I agree with you. I would love to spend time really thinking about James and the sacrifice that he makes. And he's also so brave. And it's just as much of a sacrifice. It's it's just not the literal blessing that sort of, you know, magically protects Harry. Right. I think you really got to the heart of what I sort of see as good moms, right? And good moms are not complicated to their children when they're young. And good moms can say no to you, right? And you can feel betrayed. It's like, mom, do this for me. And a mom can say no and therefore disappoint you. But good moms only let themselves be complicated to their children when life demands it or as the children age. But I think that the best moms are like, I'm just here to love you and feed you and take care of you and, like, make sure you stay alive. And, like, you don't need to know anything about how the sausage gets made. And I think what's so beautiful about your blessing is the burden of carrying that, right? Because, like, they are complicated. (laughs) Like, all people are complicated. Um, And so, like, the burden of hiding how complicated that is and, like, always sacrificing their own feelings at the altar of their motherhood, I think, is exactly what we see Lily doing in these moments. Yeah. And I think that there's just part of me, just a little bit of envy, because if you live with your kids or, you know, you you can't constantly hide from them that you're stressed about the electricity bill this month, right? Like you can hide as much as you can, but like certain things are going to slip through the cracks. They're going to see you, you know, hold your head because you have a headache, even though you don't want them to think about the fact that moms get sick or we're human. And Lily, because we only have these two moments, I just think she takes such full advantage of them and is like, is super mom. Yeah. I know I come back to this every episode and maybe we'll just make it a feature of of the episodes because clearly I'm obsessed. But like back to this question of like, what is the ideal that we're seeing in the magic of these books? Yeah. And I think I thought the ideal was that like you could by loving your child keep them from dying, right? Like that is a huge ideal when it comes to motherhood and love. And I think the other ideal that you're pointing us to is the ideal of being this perfect mom that no person could ever hope to do. But like because of magic, Mm -hmm. um, we get to see it embodied in this really gratifying way in the text. It's because of magic and it is also sadly because of death. Right. Which is one of the gifts and complications of people dying, right? Is that you get to start only telling yourself the positive stories, which is hard. I think that we all have these dueling desires within us of like, but I want to remember the bad stuff because I want to remember who they really were. And then also giving yourself a little bit of permission to be like, well, some of the bad stuff is that I miss them all the time. So now I get to just think about the happy times, right? So the fact that she's dead is what allows her to become this like 
perfect mom, she wouldn't be if she had stayed alive, right? Right. I mean, I think as we've touched on, like Molly Weasley is a perfect mom in so many ways, and yet her kids often don't see her that way. So like we'd be able to see Lily in all of the complicated ways that she was performing motherhood. But I think certainly Harry would have a more complicated relationship with her. I think perfect moms, and by perfect moms, I mean moms who do their best to prioritize the survival and love of their children. I think that those are the only two requirements to be a good mom, and I think 99% of moms are good moms. But your kids yell at you, I hate you, as you are being a good mom. Like, I don't think being a good mom is measured by your child crying at the sight of you, you know, in awe and wonder. Exactly. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. I have one question for you. Something I'd love to probe. Yeah. I was reading again that moment in book seven 
And we had gotten an email from a listener who was talking about the age of Snape in the books and the listener like realizing that Snape was her age, which was like a revelation for her. Meaning Snape's like 40? Meaning Snape's like 36, which made me think about the fact that James and Lily, when they died, were like 1920 and that Harry is walking through the forest at age 17. Mm hmm. And the parents who are comforting him are just two or three years older than him. Oh, my God. And something about, like, the imagination of that really struck me this time, that the parents who he was turning to are actually visually his peers. And I didn't know how to make sense of that or what to feel about that. So I wanted to bring it to you. Yeah. I mean, we all have some moments of that, right? oh, I am older than my parents were when they had me, and, like, I don't have kids yet. I mean, my parents got married at 19 and 23, and so I remember being 19 and looking at my boyfriend and being like, no, like, (laughs) never, ew, right? So I think that there's something universal about it. I think I might be a little bit sidestepping your probe, but what's more impressive is that they hold on to the boundaries. Right. Because ages sort of do collapse, right? As we get older, it matters less that, you know, my partner is 12 years older than I am. And a fun game that he and I play in our lives is he'll be like, when I got my first car, and then I'll be like, I was four. But like now that, you know, I'm in my late 30s and he's in his late 40s, like it doesn't matter. You know, if your parents had you young and you're 30 and they're 49, you're like of the same era. What's beautiful in those moments is when the older people, even though the time has collapsed, still maintain the boundary of like, I'm still the protector. Even though we're only a few years apart, my role here at the end of the day is still your protector. And I think that there are some times where those things can collapse and you can really become friends. And I would like to think that they're former teachers of mine who I no longer think of as older. And I I would like to think that I am there for them as much as they are there for me and we are truly friends. But I love that Lily and James, even though they're the same age as Harry, are like still completely in that role of you are our baby. Yeah. I had a teacher who died when I was in high school and he was, it was like about to be his 26th birthday. Oh my God. And when I turned 26, you know, I went back and read, I I have a folder on my computer of things that he had written because he was like an aspiring writer. Yeah. And I read all of them and I was like, you wrote all of these things when you were younger than me. Yeah. And I had spent the time in between whatever it was, 17 and 26, being like, oh, this incredible writer, my teacher who I so looked up to, and like the the process of becoming older than he ever could be, it like kind of stayed with me that whole year as I was thinking about my 26th year. And I guess trying to imagine Harry and his parents in this moment, like he's on the precipice of that transition of being older than his parents ever will have the privilege of being that feels so deeply tragic and like so so hard to look at in my mind's eye. Yeah. My father's father died at 56 and uh, when my dad was 56, I just like needed to live at home for a year 
Mm. It, like emotionally, I was in my 20s and I was like, I miss my family. I don't know why I don't live closer to LA, on and on. So I moved home for a year. When my dad turned 57, I realized it was because I needed to watch my dad turn 57. Mm. And I said something to him a few days after his birthday. I was like, I think I moved home because I was scared you were going to die at the same age your father did. And he was like, I was too. Thanks for coming home. I don't know if I like thought by sheer force of will I could make sure my dad didn't die. But I was so scared by that. Yeah. And it's just occurring to me that Harry is making the same sacrifice that his parents are totally at the same age. I often forget to think about how young Willie and James were when, when they died and like seeing Harry at 17 over the course of these books have to take on so much responsibility and then sacrifice him. Like I really feel like this is a child sacrifice at yeah. the end of the books. I think hits home for me. I mean, it's trite, but like how many children are sacrificed in war um, and how this whole book started with two children sacrificing themselves. Oh, yeah. I also wonder about that in terms of Lily looking at Harry and not saying, like, don't do it. Like, she doesn't really have a leg to stand on, right? Right. Like, she sacrificed herself just for him, and he is sacrificing himself for, like, the whole of humanity. But also, maybe she would have a leg to stand on if she was like, I regret it. But also just the fact of him existing, of course, she doesn't regret it. She doesn't regret her sacrifice for a second. She can't stop looking at him. She's, like, so proud of her sacrifice. And so, of course, she can't tell him don't do it, right? Yeah. He would be able to have that teenage response of, like, you did it. <laughs> That's You don't want to walk into that trap with a kid. Well, Vanessa, I have a little quiz for you. Ooh. It's related to a part of Lily that we haven't really touched on in this episode. Okay. When I was re-looking at the text to prepare for today, I got drawn in rereading the part of Deathly Hollows um, where we're just like in total flashback mode with Lily and Snape. Mm-hmm. And I got really interested in the point where she's standing outside the Gryffindor common room and is like, you made your choices, I made mine, you're a Death Eater and you have Death Eater friends. And that's what you're trying to be. You're trying to serve Voldemort. And like their negotiation of that friendship across the boundary of their beliefs about the world. Mm -hmm. So I have four questions for you about unlikely friendships. Ooh. Friendships across boundaries. Um, My first one, though, is about two characters that I think you've talked about, Hannah Arendt and Martin Heidegger. Yes. Um, For those who don't know, they're both very prominent philosophers, Hannah Arendt, Jewish, Heidegger, a Nazi. For, I mean, to be fair, for like a year or two, he wasn't a Nazi. He then, not publicly, but privately renounced having been a Nazi. (laughs) Still not great. (laughs) Not great. They were friends and he was her professor. She was like 18, he was 36. And they had an affair. Right. So my question is, why did Hannah Arendt end her relationship with Heidegger? A, she decided she needed to focus on her study of philosophy. B, because he was a Nazi. C, she felt guilty about his wife and the affair. D, she met her first husband, Gunter Stern, and decided to marry him, and so then left Heidegger. So it's obviously not because he was a Nazi, because that would make too much sense, and you're a vixen. I'm going to say because she got married. It's because she wanted to focus on her studies. (laughs) Wait, so she ended her friendship or ended their affair? Their their affair. It wasn't like 
oh, you're married. It wasn't like, oh, you're Nazi beliefs. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I just have to focus on my work. I think he was sexually unsatisfying, and she is lying. Can I read you something, though? Yeah. So she wrote to Heidegger on her wedding day to Gunther Stern. Yeah. And wrote, do not forget me and do not forget how much and how deeply I know that our love has become the blessing of my life. This knowledge cannot be shaken, not even today, when, as a way out of my restlessness, I have found a home and a sense of belonging with someone about whom you might understand it, least of all. Can you imagine nowadays it would be like texting right as you're about to walk down the aisle being like, about to marry this guy, photo, (laughs) but wish it was you. So that was Hannah Arendt and Heidegger. God, she's so weird. But now that I think about it, he wasn't a Nazi until after their affair ended. But they were still good friends. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, my second question. I think you're going to get this one easily. Okay. Oh, God, no pressure. So it's about Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Justice Antonin Scalia, uh-huh. who were famously BFFs. <laughs> <laughs> PFFs. They were famously friends. Good friends. Even though they have these hugely different uh, political opinions. Right. Scalia, very conservative. Ginsburg, very liberal, progressive. What's one of the many things they bonded over? A, opera. B, chess. C, fine wine. <laughs> D, three's company. <laughs> So just so everybody at home knows, Ariana wrote this quiz and is cracking herself up with her own lie. I'm pretty sure that it's opera. It is opera, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They didn't sit home together and watch Three's Company. But they could have played chess. You wrote some good lies. Yeah, I was like, they liked sparring with one another intellectually. Okay, third question. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Harry Houdini had a friendship and then a falling out. Whoa. What did they fall out over? A, they had a disagreement about the nature of the afterlife. B, Doyle accused Houdini of cheating in one of his tricks. C, Doyle insulted Houdini's mother. (laughs) D, Houdini tried to bully Doyle into writing him into a novel. You're good at lying. Am I? Yeah. So I think it's A. I think they had a big disagreement about what happens in the afterlife. You're right. Amazing. So Doyle was a vehement spiritualist yeah, and kept trying to drag Houdini, who was a skeptic, around all of these mediums. So there's a partial truth in C, which was that Doyle insulted Houdini's mother Oh, because Doyle and his wife tried to contact Harry Houdini's mother in one of these visits to the medium, and Houdini was, like, really insulted by it. Um, Can I tell you a fun fact about Arthur Conan Doyle? I would love to hear one. So I was in Eastbourne, England. And there is a sign on a building there that says Sherlock Holmes retired here. And I was like, well, that's annoying because he's fictional. But apparently, like Arthur Conan Doyle wrote into his novel that Sherlock Holmes retired in Eastbourne, England. Fair enough. Fair enough. And the town decided that it was this one building. And I was standing next to this woman who was like, fictional men get plaques before women? Seriously? And it was one of the best things that I've ever heard anyone say. That's hilarious. Yeah. Okay, your last question. Oh, yeah. Samuel Beckett and Andre the Giant, how did they meet? They were friends. Yeah, they were friends, which is hilarious and amazing. Um, Do you already know how they met? I don't know how they met. I know that Beckett drove Andre to school every day. Okay. Because Beckett was the only one in town with a car 
like with a convertible. Right. And Andre the Giant couldn't fit on the school bus at a certain point. Yeah. That's the lore, at least. There's been some dispute. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought that was real. Beckett met Andre the Giant's father. And then, as you told, he drove him to school, some say. I This is so cool, and I need to go down a rabbit hole. Is there a book about this? I don't think so. Just the things that Andre the Giant has said in his life. Somebody please write a biography of the friendship of Andre the Giant and Samuel Beckett. I would read the hell out of that book. Anyway, this all has to do with Lily Potter, obviously. Obviously, being friends with Snape across boundaries, being close to her son across boundaries. What a well-conceived quiz. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And I failed. I got 50%. That's an F. Or that's an A. In what world is 50% an A? It's a glass half full. It's just how you see it. Oh, okay. Fair enough. We are a product of Not Sorry Productions, executive produced by me, Ariana Nettleman, and the wonderful Vanessa Zoltan. We're edited by Chelsea Urson. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. And music is by Nick Bull, as always. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the borough. Download the Redfin app to get started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.